You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 215. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your... Oh, wait, I guess I can't say Stitcher anymore. Man, that yeah. just rolled off the tongue. I didn't even... Yeah, we got to feel okay. that, don't we? All, All right, right whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, we're there. Find us. We're there. Visit us at codingblocks.net. Uh, you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. Look at Outlaw. I think it's because it's early in the day that we are... We're going to do this or Outlaw looks defeated. I'm not sure. You can send your questions, feedbacks, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And, uh, yeah, we got uh, an X account at codingblocks, or you can uh, go to codingblocks.net and find all our other social links at the top of the page, although we're still updating the various logos on them. Always. Oh, I guess that means we have to update that logo. That's what you mean by that. That's right. Oh, did they they changed it, didn't they? They did forgot about that yeah all right so he didn't say did they read did they rename it play back play back play back the roll oh you did (laughs) yep here let's play back in slow-mo i'm joe zach (laughs) i'm defeated (laughs) i'm alan underwood yeah, all the people playing at uh, two times speed actually heard our names for the first time. Normal, that's right. Yes. <laughs> all right. So what we got? We got some reviews. Yep. We, we so, yeah, as we always like to say, uh, thank you to those that left us a review. So, thank you, Mister Furley. You, you real quick. I actually want to thank this person for reaching out. They said that they wrote their first review of us like eight years ago. And they said we're still his their favorite podcast. I assume it's a he with nice. Mr. So, yeah, thank you. It was like, you know, still my favorite. Keep doing it. So thank you very much. That that means a whole lot. Appreciate that. So they were able to leave two reviews? How'd they do that? I don't that? know how they did it. They okay. logged into somebody else's account is my assumption. <laughs> so if you've only left one review, you're, you're right. doing it wrong. <laughs> I like your takeaway. <laughs> Mr. Furley is leading by example here. Follow his lead and leave at least a second one. I mean, what do That's you amazing. What else you got better to do? That's right. All right. Joe, what you got up here? Yeah, I just want to mention that DevFest Florida, the uh, conference speakers is closing. So uh, hopefully we'll be posting the schedule pretty soon. But it's going to be a cool event if you're in Central Florida region or feel like taking a, f- a field trip. You should come on down. It's going to be in October. Uh, the weather's going to be uh, perfect, so you should you should come down. <laughs> Trust them on that. All right, so we've brought this up in the news a couple of times, talking about the thing, the crazy things going on with Reddit. And actually, just hours before this episode was being recorded, there was a new article that came out that basically says that they think the protest is finally sort of over at Reddit, and it's basically because there were. <laughs> There were these John Oliver rules that were taking place in some of the major subreddits to where everything had to be something like about John Oliver. And that's kind of died off. And so what I guess the company Reddit thought was going to happen, which was everybody was just going to eventually be over it and move on, sort of has happened. I think they said there's only one other big subreddit holdout, and that's uh, slash r slash fitness. And they're like, eh, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I guess sadly, Joe, you'd even mentioned that, you know, kind of people were getting mad at the moderators. 
Yeah. yeah the tides kind of turn and eventually people said, all right, uh, we want our content back. So uh, it's been interesting just to, to watch how this all kind of played out and how the public's opinion kind of changed over time. And, uh, or maybe it didn't. Maybe the, the loudest people, you know, who, you never really know. With, right. with this stuff like about it's because the people are being loud doesn't mean it's a majority or whatever well, yeah i don't know but again i mean following that the, the t- reddit following in the footsteps of twitter when twitter did the same thing with for their app you know, i mean everybody got over that and consolidated around the twitter app eventually so uh, i don't well, really was, think that's any yeah. surprise that reddit was going to win out in the long run yeah, I think the big difference, though, was the moderator thing to it, right? Like, Twitter was just sort of free open stuff, but then Reddit was sort of getting free labor out of it, which I think was sort of the sticking point. But um, there was something at the bottom of the article that was sort of unrelated directly to Reddit, but I, I thought it was interesting and worth calling out because I've been having thoughts on this as well. So, so I'll read this last little paragraph. We're at the dawn of a platform shift. As Google tunes its algorithms and incorporates more AI content into its search results, the business model of the entire internet is undergoing an unpredictable change. Over the long term, Reddit scrambling efforts at financial security may prove just as futile as the moderator's attempts to fight back. So the reason I called this out, and, and it is really, really interesting. When you think about what Google's model is for making money, it's always been relevant ads or shopping things or, you know, getting links and clicks and getting people to drive marketing campaigns on their stuff. Right. It's not their only mode of revenue, but a lot of it's ad driven. And with the onslaught of ridiculous websites that have popped up recently and the content that is obviously AI generated in a lot of, in a lot of circumstances, like, the effort it will require to spin up a new website with content you never wrote, never even had to think about. You just asked a question and it generated an article. And now you have a bunch of Amazon affiliate links. You have Google AdSense. You have all this kind of stuff. It, it, it reminds me of what I had mentioned about my usage of chat GPT. And what I find it really nice for is asking a question that I actually want an answer for, Right as opposed to going to Google searching for the same thing and having to sift through three or four pages of, of, you know, maybe irrelevant, not completely irrelevant, but a lot of shopping things and a lot of ad driven things. And it's like, man, I can't tell you how many times I'm overseeing top 10.com something, right? Like, like I don't want that. (laughs) I want information, right? Like I'm tired of these clickbaity things. So I wonder how much this is going to change. I wonder how much or or how useful people are going to see things like Google if they don't start changing the content that they deliver when somebody asks a question of it, you know? Yeah, search is rough now. Like recipes are a prime example. You like what's a recipe for meatloaf and you go and it's like the whole history of meatloaf and the recipe down at the bottom. Uh, it's uh, it's not just recipes though. So that's content across the board. You're like, how do I tell if uh, my dog has a tick, or how do I find the shotgun in Super Mario Brothers, or, or whatever it is? Uh, it's just uh, the people figured out how to game the system, and it's really not fun to use. It's really a pain. So uh, like Reddit is uh, one of my kind of primary search engines when I want like something written by a human, and now that's kind of going away too. I don't know if you've seen them. Some of the funny things were like. Uh, Sometimes then in like in kind of arguments on Reddit or uh, just other websites, 
sometimes um the one of the arguers will get outed as a bot <laughs> in kind of funny ways or like um it'll say something like uh certainly but you should talk to your health care provider before oh. you know whatever like someone insulted or whatever and it'll kind of like trigger it's one of its kind of like defense mechanism type things where it's like someone will be arguing and all of a sudden now it's telling that you can't offer legal advice because it's not a lawyer but here are three links like, hey we have been arguing with the bot the whole time Wow. Uh, it's kind of funny that people are like um, kind of priming these bots with whatever scientific viewpoint they want and then sending them out to go argue or try to make points on the internet and in some way or another. Uh, so I think that, yeah, I don't know. Content on the internet is, is pretty funky. It, it makes me question the centralization of it. Like, I wonder if, you know, you think back to like the days of like random forums that, you know, like for whatever your, your interests were, then you'd have to go and like seek out those forums and whatnot. But you know, they weren't always the same software. So you couldn't like necessarily write something that would, uh, you know, be applicable to all of them. Like in the case of this bot that you're describing, but because we've over the years and decades or recent decade, you know, plus consolidated these into like a few platforms that do have these APIs, then it allows people to take advantage of that by creating these bots that can, you know, now argue with Jay Z about how to make a meatloaf. I mean, yeah. you're not you're not wrong in that. Like, that's pretty interesting. Like, the more feature rich you have something, the more you're wanting to just go get something off the shelf, right? Because, I mean, it's really that's why WordPress is so popular. And what what was the old popular like the forum? Was it PHP forum or PHP? Oh, PHP yeah. DB. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's tons of them out there, but that's the reason why, because they, they made it easy for you to stand one up, but that's, that's a really good take on it. Um, th- you know, the recipe thing drives me crazy too, Jay-Z. Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to read 12 pages of stuff. I want the recipe. And sometimes yeah. it's even hard to find it between all the ads and other oh, yeah. garbage on the pages. But, All right. Well, I'm hungry now, so I'm going to go get some meatloaf. <laughs> yeah. right? I'll catch you guys later. Which, which happens to be one of Outlaw's very favorite things. I've witnessed this firsthand. Oh, really? Meatloaf? Yeah. Meatloaf is yeah. amazing. Yeah. I haven't I had think, one in like 40 years. Are you kidding me? I think his mom's meatloaf is the biggest smile I've ever seen on his face. Wow. <laughs> it's one of the best things on the planet. So, yeah. I mean, it I, just I, makes I, sense. I agree. Oh, all right, so I have one more thing that I'm putting in the news. I was going to put it down in the tips, but, I mean, there's probably a lot of people that never make it to the tips because it's an hour and a half in. So I wanted to put it up here because I cannot – I know that I'm not the only person who hates the fit of Apple in-ears. And I'm specifically talking about the AirPod Pro 2s. Even though they're in-ears, they still don't fit my ears. They fall out. I don't care what I'm doing, they will fall out at some point. And it drives me absolutely insane. Um, and I was actually talking to somebody else and they returned them and, and went and got some beats pros. And they said they have similar problems with those. At any rate, make a long story short. If you want to make them not actually suck and will stay in your ears. Um, there are things called comply foam tips. And back when I was doing headphone reviews, those were one of the things that I absolutely loved. They have tips for the AirPod pros too. And they're foam, so you compress them, you stick the thing in your ear, and then it expands out, and it will hold them in place. And as far as I can tell, there's zero degradation. As a matter of fact, it might sound a little bit better even with those in. 
and they stay snug. I haven't had them fall out of my ears, not once with them. So I'll have a link in the show notes for this, uh, but for anybody listening, cause you know, maybe you're listening on those at the beginning of the episode and it just fell out while I was saying that, you know, now you can go get you something. I don't, I, I guess I'm just unique and like, I don't have that problem with it. I, I mean, the old style, the, the earbud style just sat in there. Yeah, those those were ridiculous. Like I don't see how those ever stayed in for people. I always had issues with it. And it was one of the things I was super hesitant about getting them in the beginning, but you know, a a friend that I ride with, like he would he would use those on mountain while mountain biking. And I'm like, how do they not fall out of your head while we're mountain biking? But uh the 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 new ones though the the two the AirPod twos though those are, I guess I'm just lucky I don't know I'm blessed hashtag blessed yeah. is that what it yeah, is yeah maybe I don't know I think there's like half the people have the problem I do and then the other half are perfectly fine with them but it, the thing the thing that drives me crazy is they're really good headphones like yeah. it, if you have iOS or or Mac OS type things if you're in that Apple ecosystem they have a bunch of nifty tricks like Outlaw is the one who told me about them like. If, if you're watching on an Apple TV, you can have a feature turned on to where if you turn away from the Apple TV, you'll actually hear the sound shift in your ear from, you know, like you turned your head away from it, just like if you were listening to speakers. It's and it's a- really interesting. But, but man, it was driving me crazy. So, I, I mean, I was getting to the point where I was about to go, like, find something else. But when I found these comply tips, I actually liked them again. So, yeah. Um, in the, the, the Beats headphones, the, I forget what the first, uh, what they called the true wireless ones were called. Um, but they, they were flex. Are you? No, they they have wires. No, no, no. They, they they were wireless and they were called, they were called true wireless because it was the same technology as the AirPods, but they had the over ear clip that went with them. Mm -hmm. I love those. Like those are my, when I go cycling that those are the ones I prefer to use because there's just like, they're, I'm at peace. Like I, I have no worry that those are going to fall out. Right. Right. And your ear would have to come off. Yeah. Like something really bad happened. <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to go as dark with it as you did, but yeah, something really bad had to happen in order for that to fall off. The, I would love to have the new ones. I would love to upgrade, but they, they removed that now. So now it's right. got like this, uh, weird, like little clip or not really a clip thing, but like a, another piece that's supposed to fit into the curve of the inside of your ear to keep it in. So I'm like, well, that's cute and all, but man, I really liked the other style. Yeah. But you it, know, that's amazing. where, that's where I'm unique. That's what, that's where I'm different. Right. <laughs> uh, like this isn't right. So yeah, we can't ever, right. we can't, we can't have nice things. That's right. That's the takeaway. Right. All right. So, Let's get into one of the things that I thought would be somewhat interesting. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. We'll, we'll find out. So on an interview that I actually was the interviewee on, I was asked a very open-ended question, and I thought this would be kind of fun for us to go through. Wait, how long ago was this? Oh, this has been a few years ago. Oh. Um, I was like, is this an awkward way for us to, for you to tell us you're interviewing? <laughs> no, no, no. This is this was many years ago. As a matter of fact, this is probably God. This has been seven, eight years ago. At any rate, it, I think it's still relevant today because a lot of the same pieces go. So here was the question: Hey, um, you're going to have to write an API, a web service, 
that is going to be consumable by outside people. So think of like the Reddit thing, right? Like you're going to write an API that anybody can consume. All right, go. <laughs> and when they said that, I was like, huh? Like, I mean, what are the parameters? Like, what, what do you, I don't know. Just tell me, tell me what your thought process would be. And I was like, okay, so go ahead. You, you two start away. What, what are uh, things that you would be, that you would be thinking about? What are things that you would be conscious about? What are things that you'd want to include and all that kind of stuff? API versioning would be one of the things. Okay. Okay. Authentic. Like, is it, what is this something for security? Like, do I need to deal with authentication? And uh, how do I yes. deal with authentication? Yes. So yep. if I got, if I have to deal with that, that also makes me think of like, okay, you know, security encryption, like that sort of thing needs to be in play. Yeah. Okay. So we got security and authentication. We have versioning. I feel like somebody's cheating right now. This was supposed to be an interview question. I was uh, looking up stuff. Oh, I was just taking notes. Uh, I see you're doing it too. Okay. Uh, and we said, um, yeah. So for me, my first thought, uh, honestly, and this is to- speaking of cheating, uh, is I'm going to Google for the best resource I can find on making an API because even though I've done a bunch of them, right. I'm curious to see like what other people have kind of gelled on, like how the community has kind of come together and what they've kind of figured out as being the most important. And then uh, I would probably start thinking about kind of technology stacks that I would prefer or, you know, depending on if there's any sort of parameters without any, you know, obviously the answer is it depends, but um there are definitely some things I would kind of lean towards if there was no other information. Like I would, I would probably lean towards even making a Java, even though, or, you know, JVM based, I should say, even though, uh, it's got its fair share of problems. Uh, there's, if I don't know anything else going in and I have to write a web API, like I know spring has got so much configuration and security stuff and, uh, all sorts of good stuff that I'm probably going to want just right out the gate. So I would probably be Googling for, you know, modern day, like how to write an API. And then I would probably be, um, unless I found something else that kind of stole my interest there, I would probably be looking at uh, getting started with like a spring API type guide. Okay. I'm going to change my answer. I too, I'm going to Google. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, Google, you're not allowed. No Google chat GPT. How do I? Yeah. Okay. So, so in fairness, the Googling thing would have been a great little, uh, tack on at the end be like, you know, and I'd probably Google some things too, but when you're in the middle of the interview saying, well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and Google this. They're going to be like, no, <laughs> not yeah. right now. You're not. So, um, so a well, couple I, of things. So specifically like more than like, I would literally like want to Google, like what are people doing today? What is the newest, greatest, hottest, like, you know, or is everybody using rust on rails or, you know, like what's the, what are the top three frameworks that I should be considering or what are the top three uh, technology stacks I should be considering? Cause I can't trust that my information is necessarily, uh, you know, up to date or the best. And so I want to see like right out the gate, what are my best starting, my starting options. So I, that's why I'm going to go to uh best API frameworks.com. <laughs> For 2023's list of best frameworks. You know, unfortunately you can't because I guarantee you that domain is out there and it's got a blog post and it's written by a company that sells some product that they're yes. going to try and sell you. And oh, so you can't believe anything because all content on the internet is garbage now. Throw it all away. Throw that thing in the trash. So what I heard Jay-Z said was he was going to use Micronaut because I think that was the last thing that he tried to, to make. Oh, I did like Micronaut. Yeah. Yeah. I would probably go spring though. Yeah. So, 
So here's a couple of interesting things I thought about after the fact. I don't even think I mentioned this in the interview because I was, you know, anytime you're called to the rug on something like that, you're thinking through it and you, I don't know if there's a little bit of panic that happens or what, but, but oh, like, there's a lot things, of panic. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> there's a little bit of panic, right? Oh, one of the things that I thought about after the fact, it, it first, I would say that you want to look at companies that do a lot of these things like AWS comes to mind, right? Like their, their web services, they've done a lot of things. So one of the things that I hadn't thought about, I don't think during that interview was paging. How are you going to handle paging? Because if somebody queries something like the, the product catalog for Amazon, you can't return it all at once, right? So you're going to have to think about paging. How are you going to page or how to handle paging? And a lot of those companies say what? Depends on the data store. <laughs> well, another thing with that is, well, a lot of these companies, when they do these things, it's not like, hey, just go to page two. They'll give you a token because they probably cached the first, I don't know, thousand results. And that token will give you the next entry into that set of results because they don't want to research the thing. So another thing you have to think about is how do you not crush your back end, right? Um, yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. I changed my answer. I would just go .NET. You know, Microsoft <laughs> has just about everything, like um, like 90% of everything, and it's consistent, and it's nice, and you Google, and there's one way to do it. Oh my gosh, what was I thinking spring? I take that, erase that, erase that, editor. That's so funny it. that you say that because that's that's actually got some truth to it, right? Like we've talked about it before is one of the reasons we all love Microsoft is because they sort of have a prescribed way of doing things. And when you go into the Java world, there's like 9 million opinions out there on what the best way to do things is. And it can be really frustrating. Yeah, I think you can focus on any little part of the like the .NET kind of framework and solution. And say, well, well, there's something better out there for this one particular thing. But as a whole package, it's tough to beat. Yeah, it's really good. So uh, another thing that I thought about after the fact is, so we said the paging serialization. Do you want JSON results back? Do you want XML results back? Do you want you know I don't know? Do you want it in uh, gRPC type stuff? XML, right? Definitely XML. Definitely XML. So serialization is a big one, right? And back in the day when you'd write these things, and even before this interview happened, you know, maybe you wrote things to write XML or you wrote things to write JSON. And things have evolved so much now that you think about, I just need to get things into the proper object or structure because there's all kinds of different serialization models that you could just throw that thing at and it'll spit it out in those different formats for you. Right. So, so that's another thing you need to think about. How, how are these things being called? Is it GRPC? Is it web API? Is it whatever? Right. So that's, that's another one. Uh, I'm trying to think what, what were some more things that came to mind? Authentication was obviously a big one. Uh, logging. So for me, Logging, I, I think, has become so much bigger for me in my world because now that we're all doing distributed type computing, it's really frustrating trying to tie the dots together. So I think logging what's happening in those service calls is going to be very important so you can find out when things fail, why they fail, all that kind of stuff, right? Tracing. Tracing, yep. 
if this is going to be like a public API that I'm like selling or is going to be yes. actually published on the internet, then I'd yes. be really interested in like um, documentation generation solutions. Okay. Like, not, like, you know, there's Java docs or whatever, stuff like that. But I want more than that. I want people to be able to, to cor- add corrections or, you know, I want that whole process to be kind of part of the, the package that I deliver. Uh, I want people to be able to make corrections and make uh, changes to the documentation without it being pain. Cause I don't want to do it. That's, that's actually really good. I hadn't even considered that. That's a big one, as a matter of fact. See, and you look at all the stuff that we've already named, and this is why we just be like, forget it. <laughs> yeah, work. we're not actually going to make it, right? Like this yeah. is this is just the thing. I don't have to do this. If I have to do it, I'm going like Node.js and like serverless, like done. I'll be done in an hour. But if we're just talking hypothetical, then yeah, I'm going to need a couple of weeks in a whiteboard. Right. Another one, caching, right? Like I already mentioned, typically if somebody does a a request and your service allows paging, let's just assume that you've got tens of thousands of things, right? You're going to want to cache those results because you don't want, even if you got Elasticsearch or something like that on the back end, you don't want to hit that every time if you don't have to, right? So chances are you'll probably cache the first three page pages of results, right? Because even Google, I want to say that, less than 2% of people ever click through past the third page or something. Right. So if you were to do something like that, you'll save your back end and make it to where this thing's still fast. Right. So caching is another consideration that you're going to do for that. I mean, it's amazing. Like, like uh, I think outlaw just said, we've already got a huge list here and this is not even talking about the, the implementation of it. It's just all the things you need to consider even going into it. Build pipeline. Oh, look at you. I mean, so I feel like all we've done though is like just buzzword. Like, you know, you're, you're in the interview. So you're just throwing out all these buzzwords, but like the actual, like this isn't how you're going to go about it in the real world. (laughs) You're going to start with something like what Jay-Z said. He's going to, you know, find some, uh, node package or whatever and start small and then, you know, iterate on it and then realize like, oh, okay, it's getting to a level where like, oh, I really wish I had a build pipeline to just, you know, do all this for me. Oh, I wish I had some logging. Oh, I guess my logging needs tracing, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm abusing the the database server. I need to add a caching layer. Like you're not going to start with all of this from day one. For sure. <laughs> unless you're, unless you were a mature organization that already has some of these things at the ready. Like if you were a Google for example, or a Microsoft or, or an Amazon. And you already have like, uh, there's already a, a, a logging layer available company wide, right? Like a, like a Google log explorer or something like that. And it's like, Oh, okay. No big deal. I, I can dump that out to there. I think it's more about just how much, how many touch points have you experienced as a developer is really what they're trying to hit. Right. What are the things that you know off the top of your head that you need to at least be aware of and be thinking about going into building an API that people in the world are going to be able to hit? And and that's what's interesting is just you sit there and you think about it. You're like, wow, there, there really are a lot of pieces to this one little thing that was just this vague question that was thrown out at you, you know? So. Yeah, that's that. what they want to hear. They want to hear that you're thinking about security and build pipelines and documentation. You know, that's that's all they're really looking for is like make sure you have experience with that sort of thing. Yep, performance, basically all the stuff we've talked about, right? 
you forgot um, hire someone to do all of that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna manage this project. <laughs> yeah, hire up. And they were like, "But wait, that's what we're interviewing for." Oh, snap! Or what's I'm called out. a Upwork, Fiverr. There we go. Yeah, Fiverr. <laughs> JC just hired out his API at Fiverr. That's amazing. Yeah, I'll be playing Baldur's Gate. See you later. I mean, they yeah. advertise you doing exactly that. So you know, whatever. Oh, uh, that's True. amazing. All right. So that, that was fun. A whole lot easier when there's three people collaborating on it. I'll just say, and, yeah. and you're not having somebody sitting there judging whether or not you're going to get the position or not while you're answering it. It's like you, them, and the ticking of the clock. That's right. So the next one I had, and this one's interesting. So I'm kind of curious you guys' thoughts on this. And this can apply to any type of software being applied to the physical world. So here's the background. I'm very interested in building some DIY speakers. And by the, I think I just heard my wife make a noise over there. She's probably going to attack me in the middle of this episode. (laughs) So, so when I say I'm interested in building these DIYs, it's not that I'm going to go completely from scratch and do this, right? Like there's, there's sort of kits out there that have drivers, but you could build the crossovers and all that. If you don't know anything about crossovers, don't worry about it too much. Here's the big thing that I want to throw out at you. Every speaker that you buy has all kinds of measurements that come with them, right? It, it, and I know Outlaw will remember this because he was big into subwoofers in his, you know, 20s, you know, a year or two ago. And those was. subwoofers was, right, they have all kind. like if you look at the true specs of those things, like there's 20 or 30 different specifications that tell you, how they perform the amount of air that needs to be in whatever enclosure you're doing all all like seriously tons of different like physics types things. You can plug all those things into some software that will tell you, Hey, if you want it to go down to 20 Hertz, this is the size enclosure you need. You need these kind of ports. You need all this, right? My question is how much can you trust that? Like I know I know that software is really good. We're really good at taking math and turning it into things. But there's there's a part where the real world meets things that you can't necessarily define in an algorithm. And that's the part that bugs me, right? Like, okay, I'm going to go build this enclosure. So I'm going to spend a week cutting wood, gluing wood, screwing wood together, doing all that kind of stuff. I'm going to build this and it's going to sound like garbage. And it's not even going to go to the 20 hertz that I thought it was going to do or the 12 or whatever I was hitting at. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever had that? Like, like where you look at it, you're like, yeah, I just don't trust it. But I don't know a better way to do it. I mean, I would say in this regard... <clears throat> You know, like you said, this is we're talking math here. So I would say from the start, start as a starting point, yeah, sure, I w- I would have a pretty good confidence level that it would be that it would help me find a very good starting point. But sure, it's not going to be able to take into consideration <clears throat> unless you're going to go to extreme detail in modeling the room that you're going to put it in. And, you know, the specific corner and like all of the things that are in that room that are going to affect it and whatnot. Like, you know, <clears throat> I think it's going to be an extremely good enough starting point. Okay. I think that, that's fair. That even if, if you were trying to get to 12 Hertz and it only got to like, you know, 13 
Well, that's a fail. <laughs> Let's be honest. Well, but but you know what I'm saying though. Like you're right. not going to hear that anyways. It's going to be so yeah. low. Like you're you're what what you're going for at that point at that level at that that low frequency is the vibrations that it's going to do in the room, right? So right. the way it's going to yeah. vibrate. Yeah, exactly. Because you want that earthquake kind of a uh, kind of feel when it when that scene pops up, right? And so the you're not going to hear the your 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 pet might, <laughs> but you're not going to hear it. You're just going to like, Oh, the same stuff is rattling. And plus, well, plus at that kind of volume anyways, or that kind of frequency volume anyways, like things are rattling around so much anyways, like that's what you're hearing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's definitely talking about subs. I guess the part that bugs me is this. So I've looked at, I've read, Oh man, so much and gone into so much, but like in a crossover, basically what makes your speaker only play certain ranges of sound, right? There's capacitors, resistors, and inductors that go into that circuit. Well, what's crazy is when you start looking into this stuff, Oh, well, there's audiophile grade capacitors and audiophile grade inductors and resistors. And you're like, well, what in the world? And let's take it to another step. You have to measure this audio equipment, Right. Well, is everybody using the same amplifier to to push this power to a speaker? Like, how do I know (laughs) that this thing is giving me this range of sound when you're using a totally different amp than that person over there? And like all that stuff makes my mind explode. And I look at it and I go, software cannot account for this type of thing. And it drives me a little bit insane. So I love software audio. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. A couple of years ago, I would not have said that, uh, but now I am fully convinced. Like messing around with like uh, speaker emulators and um, software modelers for like tube amps. You know, tubes are, you remember tubes? Like they, Wait, they came been before transistors. Yeah. Yeah. For, oh, we, like, we need to talk. All my, well, for guitar stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So all my yeah. guitar stuff is all software. Same and, stuff. Uh, yeah. The way a lot of it works is uh, they measure the impulse response of speakers. They literally like, hook up device. They run a signal through. They see how it compares, and they say, "Okay, well, here's the impulse response from a 1973 Greenback uh, ceramic speaker, and here's the one from a 1981, you know, whatever Alnico something or other." And then they'll kind of plug them in the software, and you switch them around, and it changes, and it sounds dramatically different. And it does sound different. And if you compare what it sounds like, to, like to the real speaker and the software, it's incredible. You can tell sometimes that they're different, but to say which one's better is much harder. And yeah. even, you know, it, it's just tough. And so I have a lot of faith in uh, in software's ability to, to kind of mess around with audio. I feel like it's like a pretty solved problem. But I will say, too, I also wouldn't go messing around with hardware because it seems like there's just a lot of factors really that kind of can change things. And I, I would just I would be afraid that like. The numbers might look great on paper, but I wouldn't like the sound of it. Uh, but like a speaker that you buy from the store, you can go listen to it first and see if you like it. But I also think um, the kind of audio that you're listening to, like you, you, I don't know if you necessarily want a flat response on it, but it's less opinionated. Like you don't want, right. you know, to be punchy in the mids or whatever, you know, like if you're using it for multimedia type stuff, you want it to, to work for a, a wide range of things. It's uh, even worse though, uh, in the case of the guitar that you're talking about, Jay-Z, because so Jay-Z and I both have the same software that he's referring to and it can, you can create a sound that you like, you can, you can model a specific amplifier. You can model a specific speaker with impulse response, exactly like what Jay-Z was saying. And depending on which guitar you use as the input, it might sound, you know, one 
night and day different from the next due to the the pickups and the wood and the fretboard and all that type of stuff, which kind of goes to your point, Alan, about like, well, you know, you can set a baseline for the speaker, you know, that, hey, you know, given this amount of wattage, uh, you know, like this is the type of volume you're going to get out of it, et cetera, et cetera. But the amp that you use versus the amp that I use, you know, we might get, you know, totally different signals out of it. Like if yours is putting out a, you know, a really dirty kind of signal, right. Versus mine is super clean, you know, that it's going to show. Yeah. It's, it's insane. It's just, it's crazy to me that as much as I believe in software, I've been doing it for a long time. It's amazing to me that when the rubber meets the road and you start putting real world things in place to, to implement the things that were modeled in software, how you can get such drastically different results. Just like you were saying, the amp, right? Like, I mean, if you look into the audio audio file world of, of amplifiers, you would think exactly what Jay-Z said. You want a neutral approach, right? You want something that doesn't color it. You don't want it necessarily to add any low end or mid or high or whatever, and you don't want it to take away. Well, it turns out you can go look at $20,000 amplifiers that aren't giving you a true signal. You can look at it, hundred dollar amplifiers that are closer to true. And it's, it's just amazing to me that when you start looking at all this stuff, you can't really model it because there's no way to say that, Oh, well, I've got this capacitor here. I mean, it would have to be so complex. These, the software would have to have every single permutation of every capacitor, inductor, resistor on the planet to be able to give you what you would expect at the end of the day. And and then to take it a step further, like outlaw said, you, you still have the room effect of it or wherever you're putting these things that can completely change it again. Right. R- room reflections or whatever. So I don't know. It's funny. Like this is just sort of a view in my head of when I've been looking at this stuff, like how, like <laughs> I can't, I can't trust anything. I just have to trust what, what somebody's opinion of something was. Well, I mean, this is where, you know, to, to Jay-Z's point about being like super confident in it being, in it being a well-known problem though, where I do take some issue with that, because like, even though we have that same, that same software, there are some things that to me, um, you know, they try to model like specific, you know, effects pedals and whatnot. And, you know, I, I will have that. I, I own like the real one and I can I can definitely tell you, no, the real one sounds infinitely better than what that, you know, the modeling tried and I'm not trying to take anything away from it. And if that's all I had and all I knew, I would be fine with it, but I have the other one and I can tell you there's a difference. And, uh, you know, there, there's some other things too, that there's just some dedicated hardware out there. That's just better than what that modeler can do. Right. It's analog stuff. But yes, there's a there's another thing that's kind of related to, you know, speaking of like the room and the the, the effects that that's going to have on it, because um, unrelated to speaker building, but kind of related to the whole sound conversation, there was a. So, OK, so any any Jay Z is going to know and like anybody who's ever played guitar will know that like a lot of guitar players are always talking about tone. Right. They're always like searching for the tone, you know, like that's the thing they want is that tone that they're going for. And there was this one uh, player based out of, I believe out of Tennessee. And 
you know, he was, he was, he was making the case to where like, it's, it's, it's next to impossible to try to like get the tone that you hear on some album and then be able to reproduce that in like a live setting situation. Because Mm -hmm. he said, you can go buy all the same hardware that that person used, right? And you can tweak all the dials and change everything to be exactly what they did. But what you don't know is, well, what was the space that the room was in? Where was the amp situated in that room? What microphone did they use to to capture the sound from that amplifier? Did they use more than one microphone? Where was how far away was the microphone positioned? What angle was it positioned at? Uh, you know, then when it went back to the to the control room on the mixing board, what was that guy doing? Like, what were those settings? So there's like so many factors that were going to go in that to like try to recreate that tone would be near impossible. And so instead, just find something you like and go with it. Like, don't yeah. don't get ca- yeah. ca- caught away. And that's the same thing that applies here. Like, you know, and that's why I made that the point about like the 13 hertz instead of the 12. Like, are you really going to know a difference? Like, yeah, okay, technically, like if 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 this is like this space mission and it depends on you hitting 12 hertz, then okay, yeah, I, I, then then it's a right. fail. I get right. that. But in this case, yeah. I think that like you're using humans to like subjectively decide like is that good? Do I like that? And that that's an opinion kind of thing. And as long as you get it good enough, right? You could be extremely happy. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's funny. I, as we were talking about this, I, I realized we had somebody that joined us early on with the podcast, Ace Tag. He probably would have a ton to say about this because he, he's been writing. Yeah, he's quite know. mad at everything I've said. Right. <laughs> probably me too. You know, uh, one kind of funny note, um, a lot of times uh, music producers do a lot of stuff with what they call side chaining. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's pretty interesting. Um, so, like, for example, um, like the bass, uh, the kick drum. And like the bass guitar, like uh, have a, or just any sort of bass, you know, instrument have a lot of overlap, and so uh, it's common to do things like where you side chain so that like maybe the bass compresses whenever the kick drum hits, and so it's literally a, a signal that affects what's been recorded, but only when other things happen in other channels. So like maybe I want to change the EQ on the bass so it cuts out some of the actual like the bass tone, but only when the the bass the sorry, the kick drum is hitting and so the eq changes dynamically you know like second by second based on this other channel and so like which is done by software live yeah it sounds great it sounds fantastic you can hear everything like really clearly good luck doing that live right yeah yeah i mean software is incredible in what it can do with it i mean look at autotune right there's probably some people that shouldn't even be popular or famous (laughs) yeah (laughs) but autotune made it so anyway yeah pretty pretty interesting yeah, so I included that um, link to that video, uh, you know, if, you, if you care. Excellent. Care. All right. Well, with that, uh, if you haven't already left us three reviews, we would greatly appreciate it if you did. Uh, you can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. And with that, we will head into my favorite portion of the show, it's time for coding Jeopardy blocks. <laughs> so we're done. Nicely. Yeah, we're I'm, I'm workshopping it. I'll get there. Um, okay. So, oh, I lost my, I lost my, it's me. It's my cheat me. sheet. Where'd it go? Wait, are you serious? You need a cheat sheet? Oh, no, 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 no. I had oh. a, no, no, no. Oh, there it is. There it is. I had to find all the, the, 
uh, topics that I had. Oh, okay. Okay. <clears throat> so start. So yeah, like Alan said, episode two fifteen. To, recording to Tetco's trademark rules of engagement, Alan, you will go first. Yes, sir. So your choices are for the first category of topics, game on, current events, pop music, seven letter words, let's take a walk, or autumn. Game on. Game on. All right. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Three. Kind of level three. Okay. <clears throat> Sweden's Mojang Studios is best known for this video game where you can build volcanoes or underground cities. I've got nothing, man. Can you say that one more time? Sweden's Mojang Studios is best known for this video game where you can build volcanoes or underground cities. So, Alan, do you pass? Populous. Oh, come on. Joe? All right. Well, uh, who is Minecraft? Wait, I forget. What is Minecraft? Is... uh that is correct. Is what is Minecraft? Really, Minecraft is yeah, the answer. Not. How have you not played Minecraft? I didn't know it was Swedish. Okay. Yeah. Um. So Jay Z, it goes to you. Second Ooh. round of categories. The in memoriam segment nineteen twenty two. Famous <laughs> names on the map. Drama mm. queens. It all starts with you, and the responses will start with you. The letter U. Shakespeare or the seven wonders of the ancient world. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, That's a one in seven chance, right? Yeah. I was thinking, I was like, can I? Yeah, I kind of want to know. Let's let's try that. Let's try that one. The uh, seven wonders. Oh, man. That's a fail that you didn't pick drama queens. Uh, well, I okay, so, it sounded fun, but I wouldn't know. I'm trying to win here. Okay, what time. what level question? One, two, three, four, five. Three. Three. All right. I think you only did this because you're like, oh, I wonder if I can trip up Michael with like weird proper nouns. So here we go. <laughs> the pharaohs of Alexandria was one of these that stood on an island in the city harbor with a fire lit at the top every night. The the pharaoh what what it was that part? <clears throat> the pharaohs of Alexandria was one of these that stood on an island in the city harbor with a fire lit at the top every night. Jeez, uh, I mean, I, I it's not a seven wonder. I, I I'm gonna go with ziggurat. I guess. Okay, Alan. What is the cigarette? Dang. Uh, what is a harpy? I think you guys are just making up stuff now. <laughs> also, it's Friday. It's Friday. Right. What is a lighthouse? Oh, come on. That's 
That's not one of the seven wonders. I think it might have been. Of the ancient world. Yeah, ancient the world. ancient world. Yeah. Shoot. All right, my I turn. Look up. I have a All chance. Right. <clears throat> All right, here we go. It's close. It's it's uh, zero one. Jay Z is winning. <laughs> so I really wish you'd pick Drama Queen because those looked like they were more fun though. All right, the so Alexandria. Dang it, that really was one. Yeah, yeah. Here's the topics: brain surgeons' terminology. Can we just admit that that's the one we got to go with? <laughs> <laughs> of course we're going to know that one johnny gilbert speaks the movie line so i guess this is uh because these are where i'm doing like the celebrity based questions so that's where you know somebody would read this so i'll do my best i guess uh so i'll change that to say michael outlaw speaks the movie line how's that there we go there we go colorful responses which that's all i have mascots historic history of yesterday a look back and lastly but we repeat ourselves colorful for one (laughs) colorful responses for one oh yeah okay this is where we debate on whether or not we should yeah 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 exactly (laughs) it's the crime of making someone pay you to not reveal their embarrassing secrets. What is blackmail? That is correct. Yes, sir. <laughs> Very nice. I get. I see what they did there now. Okay, I get that. Tied it up. I get that. Uh, oh. All right. So I guess. I guess then we have to go to Final Jeopardy. This is the first. We haven't had to do this first yet. So for Final Jeopardy for the tiebreaker, the category is annual events and jay-z we go to you first wait 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 there's gotta be a buzzing or so or we should have to type in the response or something and reveal it nah whatever go ahead (laughs) alan's like i can't take the possibility that i might lose lose. i'm too close you gotta whoever makes the sound of a modem first oh i got this all right a modem yeah Okay, I don't know if that was better or worse, but <laughs> okay, <clears throat> here we go. In 1986, Larry Harvey called a friend and said, "Let's do this. No one knows exactly why." It involved and it evolved into an annual festival in the desert. <laughs> go ahead. Do you know this? Burning Man. That is correct. Oh, come on. Ooh. All right. He takes the win. Nicely that's done. Like, uh, that's, that, that's like two in a row, right? It is. The he, trend. He has a streak. Yeah. It is. I'm pretty embarrassed about these seven winners. I went and looked them up, and like I only know three of them anyway. So I was <laughs> the, hangy, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon's one. That was yes. like the only one I remembered. Yeah. The, Wait, the Colossus. This, the ancient or the pyramids of Egypt. That was one. Yep. See, Drama Queens, I think, would have been like so much easier. You would have definitely gotten this one, Jay-Z. You ready? Why it was going to be me? Lena, because you were the one, because wasn't that yours? <laughs> it was. Your choice? A, yeah, that, yeah, that was your choice, and you and you didn't pick it. And I'm probably going to like mess up this name, so this is like all the more reason for you to be happy with picking this. Lena Headley is Cersei Lannister, Queen of the Seven Kingdoms, on this HBO series. Oh. Game of Thrones. Yeah. See? Told you. 
That'll be yeah. easy. Dang it. And somebody can uh, hit me up at how I mispronounced her name. You can hit me up at Defeated <laughs> on Slack. Well, yeah. I mean, if you want to mispronounce some stuff, you should check out those uh, Seven Wonders. Right? Oh, right. Well, actually, only one's really bad. The mausoleum at Halicantosis something. <laughs> Halitosis. Yeah. Gotta brush your Halitosis teeth. Halitosis mausoleum. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah. So, last episode... I was trying to convince you guys why you needed to read the software engineering at Google book. And I had talked about the uh, anti-patterns to being a, uh, you know, leadership anti-patterns or how, how to lead a team, the anti-patterns edition. But I thought, well, we should probably like go over the, the, you know, let's not all be all negative, right? Let's, let's talk about the positive things too. Um, And for the record, they, they were in that order in the book. So, you know, that wasn't my, my doing, but the first one is uh, lose the ego. So the idea here, uh, I'll, I'll throw out the idea and then you can like, you know, uh, yay, nay it. But um, this idea here is trusting your team and their abilities and their past experiences to be able to do whatever it is that you need to ask. So don't micromanage what, you know, if you give, if you give someone on your team a task, don't micromanage that task to the point where you're practically doing it for them, like trust that they're going to figure it out. Yes. Mostly. Mostly. Yep. Wow. I mean, I guess you, you have to know your team, right? <laughs> so I guess if you give it to the right person, sure. If you get to the wrong person, maybe you shouldn't have given it to the wrong person, but yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think my ego is pretty cool, so I, I don't know. I don't know about this one. <laughs> so you're a no mostly. <laughs> yeah. I need ego. That's how we get stuff done around here. Okay. Um, I mean, it, it, you know, in theory, in theory, you would never give the task to the wrong person because you would try and give it to the right person. But if that right person or persons is not available because they're working on other tasks, this is where I say yes, mostly. There are some people that do need more prodding than others, right? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to hate, I'm going to, I want to get through a few of these and then I want to come back to that. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so the next one here, and this is totally Jay-Z, be a Zen master. So basically the idea here is that you need to like be cool, calm and collective, like as things are happening, like you can't, your team is going to feed off of whatever you put out there, right? So if you put anxiety or stress or whatever, or anger or whatever, like your team is going to feed off of that too. Right. And they, they call out that like, um, if you were to picture from you up to your CEO, every layer of management, like you and every layer of management, including the CEO represent a, a cog of some shape, right. That have a, and each one's going to have a different number of teeth that, um, you know, by the time you're going to have fewer teeth, right. Your manager is going to have more teeth than you and et cetera, et cetera. So like every rotation that they make has more impact than the rotations that you're making. Right. And, you know, you could imagine that if that CEO like overreacted, or, you know, hand, handled events in a bad way, like the ripple effect that that has 
throughout the rest of the company because he's got more uh, gears attached to him, right? Thoughts? Totally. I I like that analogy too. That's that's cool. I'd I'd, uh, not heard of that one. But... But did we lose him? No, no, I was just thinking, sorry. I was thinking, uh, this is why my dogs are so chill. That's what I was thinking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, 100% agree. 100% agree. The, I would also say, though, it doesn't just have to be chill because I've, I've had bosses as well that emitted an exuberance, right? Like an excitement, like everything that you worked on was exciting. And that also had a ripple effect, right? Like, oh man, if we get this done, it's going to be amazing. So, just a positive, whether it's, whether it's the Zen, like you said, like cool, chill, whatever, or some sort of really positive type vibe that they put out. Both of those. I I completely agree with. Yeah. Okay. So the next one, and I'd always heard this one kind of phrased different. So it was curious to see the way they, they talked about it was to be a catalyst. Right. And you've always heard this, like this, uh, that phrase of, you know, be the catalyst for change that you want to see like that type of thing. Like it's like a cliche kind of statement, right? Mm-hmm. But yep. that's not what they mean here. And, and so what they're talking about here is, you know, at like, you can go back to your chemical engineering days, right? Like the catalyst being the thing that creates that cohesion between elements to, so that they bond and there's there's whatever reaction you wanted to have happen. And so here what they're describing is <clears throat> as a leader for you to be a catalyst what it means is to create a consensus and cohesion among your team and make sure that you're all on the same page as like this is this is our mission statement. This is what we're going to do. Right? And and make that clear and obvious to everybody. I like it. Didn't really sound like a catalyst, though. No, it doesn't sound like a catalyst. Sounds like a. It's it's the cohesion among the yeah. the team that yeah. is the catalyst. Yeah, I like it. Okay, I'll accept it. <laughs> man, I thought I was going to get a man in the mirror. When you talk about catalyst, I'm thinking about taking a look at myself and making a change. Change. <laughs> it's gonna make that change. All right. So good. Okay, MJ. So, uh, the next one was to remove roadblocks, which this one seems like, you know, more of like a, an obvious kind of answer that you would think like, okay, yeah, you know, any, any level of leadership there, the, the, you would hope that they're going to like remove roadblocks from the team that's reporting up to them as best they can. There, there might be roadblocks that they can't remove. Right. But, um, you know, that's certainly the hope, right? So I'm not sure there's a lot to talk about that one. That one's kind of obvious. Agree? Disagree? Yeah, it was important. It's a really important one. Yeah. Now, this one flies in the face of what Alan was saying before, though. And this is why I want to talk about that one. Uh-oh. Be a teacher and a mentor. So the idea here is in the case of you saying, like, you know, giving that person the the task that you're like, I don't know that they're going to get that done. There is something to be said about like giving them enough room to learn and to figure it out and 
uh, you know, you can give them feedback after they've tried, right? But don't just say, oh, well, Jay-Z will never figure that out. Let me just give it to Outlaw because I know he already knows it. Even if, even if it's the case where you yourself know how to do it and you can get it done in 20 minutes and, and the person you might want to give that ticket to or that task to, it might take them a few hours because they've never been in that area and they got to figure it out, right? Like, you know, let them have that space. So I completely agree with this. I like, I love, as a matter of fact, I love it when people in a position of leadership are teachers and mentors. However, I've also experienced firsthand that there are some people that it's not that they can't be taught. Maybe it's they have no desire or willingness to, to be resourceful enough to take that stuff and go with it. I don't, I don't know the right way to say it. Well, but again, I guess going back to the lose the ego thing, like there are people that are perfectly capable, but if you hand them the thing, they just won't pick it up and, and carry the ball on down the field. Right. Even, even if they have the skills, even if they don't have them and you try and teach a mentor, it's just a certain type of personality, I think is what I'm getting at. Like there are just some people that are really hard to give something like that to. Did you want to say anything? Cause uh, the other thing, it almost sounds like, though you're including or confusing the previous anti-pattern of ignoring low performers in with this one. So if you assume that you are not ignoring low performers, right? I think that's fair. Then, then the positive pattern is to lose the ego and be a teacher and a mentor. Well, tell me this, tell me this. If, if there are, can we agree there are people that can take a loose set of things and go create something out of it? And there are people that can't do that, but if you give them very specific tasks, they can kill them. Right? Like, so I guess that's where I guess the whole thing of lose the ego was you give somebody something. If it's not a very specific task, like add this to this page or do this or whatever, then hyper-specific tasks are much easier to just be like, yeah, definitely don't micromanage that, right? You already told them what the task was. You, you told them what to do. They can go do it. If it's more of a, a, a project, we'll say that's, I guess, where I'm getting, I may be confusing I that. Mean, and it, I'm trying to keep the low performers out of it. I'm just saying that there are different types of people. There are people that are good at tasks, and then there are people that are good at projects, like taking a whole project from beginning to end. Yeah, I mean, I... I struggle with that too, because I almost want to say that like, if I have to be that specific with you on how to do something, then you are a low performer, right? Maybe because like, think about if we, let's take this out of the context of software development. Right. And I tell you like, Hey, I need a, I need a wall built for this house. And here's the dimensions of the, of the wall. There's not going to be any windows. So don't worry about that. But I I need you to just go ahead and, and stud out this wall. Right. If you come to me and you're like, yeah, but uh, how, how long do I need to cut this piece of wood? Is that it? Mm-hmm. What angle do I cut that wood at? Where do I put this nail? Like what if kind you of had, saw do I use? Right. right. Like if you're yeah. coming at me with that level of specificity, then I'm like, okay, you're really a low performer. You're just eating up my time. And now we're going back to the anti patterns. If so, 
I understand exactly what you're saying. There are people that you can just give that vague set, like I need a wall, you know, stud out this wall for this dimension, you know, no windows or doors or anything, and they can just run with it. So, yeah. Yeah, so I'm trying to. I've been trying to Google and find this. Uh, years ago, in like some management training, I had this uh, thing where they talked about how um, different skill levels need different levels of management. So if someone is like really new to a task, uh, then they're going to need more kind of hand holding. And if someone's really experienced with and mastered the task, then they need less. And so I, I think it's less about the individual person. Like I don't, you know, when we kind of say someone's a low performer, it almost sounds like the person is a low performer, but it might just be a certain task. Like if you try to teach me how to, uh, you know, do it like a dance routine for a little, uh, you know, a fun little project at work or something, you know, for doing a, I don't know, play days, y'all have play days, right. At work. Um, then it's going to be a problem. I'm going to need a lot of help on even the most micro movements that you would think a child would be able to do. But, uh, if you need me to chat GPT something, I mean, say no more, I got it. Right. But uh, there's something there about how like how comfortable and familiar a person is with the kind of thing that they're doing. Now, if you have someone that's constantly at that low level of skill for like all the stuff you need them to do, then, you know, that's a problem. And, you know, I, I don't know how to level that person up or, you know, what, what you need to do there is different. But um, I do think that there's something about that, that kind of that that person's skill level and how much you need to, to work with them. But I would argue, though, that like if you're doing something for the second or the third or the tenth time, like it's always going to be easier for that person. Right. It's always going to be more difficult for the the person to do it the first time. Right. And that's okay. It's okay. That's where like that be a mentor, be a teacher part comes in. Like, you know, even though, uh, you know, in kind of in also with the lose the ego, like, you know how to do it. You could do it in 20 minutes, but let them learn how to do it in, you know, it might take them a little bit longer, but you're going to be better off as a team for letting them do that. So I don't, I don't view that as the same kind of thing. I think it's more, uh, if you can't trust the person to, to do it period without you giving them explicit details, step by step, then, then they're low performers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I think I can buy all that. I think I can buy all that. Okay, good. Whew, sold. All right. <laughs> I did. I did finally find that. Um, it's called the situational leadership theory. We'll have a link in the show notes. All right, cool. Set clear goals. So again, this kind of goes back to that idea of the mission statement that I was talking about before with the Zen master, you know, like if you're, if you make it clear to everybody what the mission is for the team, and you're not wishy-washy about it, and you're not constantly like changing the direction of the team, then you know you're going to have a better, more productive team in the end, and and probably happier too, right? I yes. find that to be true. I find that to be sometimes difficult, oh, especially true. in smaller organizations, right? When when an organization's life may depend on whether or not they change direction to accomplish some other task or goal. Right. But, but overall, I think that morale and everything is way better when you're all shooting towards a goal and you can actually see that goal achieved as opposed to constantly moving the goalposts around. I mean, you could also argue though, that in that small company situation that maybe, uh, you know, your mission statement needs to be able to reflect 
you know, the situations you described there. Right. Yeah. True. True. <clears throat> All right. So this next one's going to be controversial. You ready? Let me. Let me well, I mean, Jay Z is the one that, that likes to argue things the most. So let's do it. Can't help it. <laughs> You're going to love this one. <laughs> be honest. Oh, come on. Uh. Now, now you say that. <laughs> <He> said, <"Mm-mm." laughs> you say that, but th- what they're getting at here, though, is that like, um, two things two things as a, as a manager one don't feel like you have to pretend to know everything like it's okay if somebody on your team comes to you with a question and you're like you know what i don't know but i think i know where we can go find it right like it's okay to not know everything that's one part of this be honest uh strategy the other part though is when it comes time to give feedback it's better to just be direct and honest about it right and, uh, you know, let, let the person know. And in fact, have you ever heard of the compliment sandwich? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They actually advocate to not do the compliment sandwich. Oh, interesting. Because yeah, it seems like people have kind of turned against it because they say what's going to happen is the person receiving the, the compliment sandwich. They're just going to remember the last thing that you said. They're going to lose it. Hey, so for anybody that doesn't know what a compliment sandwich is, it's when you give some positive feedback, followed by some negative feedback, and then followed by some positive feedback just to take the sting off, right? Like so so that they don't feel like they're just being bashed on. So that's the compliment sandwich. Yeah. And I've seen people talking about it too, because it is like a blatant manipulation tactic. Like you're trying to get someone to take some piece of feedback and but then you're also trying to shape how they feel about it. Yes. Which is kind of slimy. Yeah, well, so they they specifically call out that like if you can avoid that and instead just be direct and honest about what it is the feedback that you want to give, then that's the thing that they'll remember and can improve on. That's interesting. Otherwise, it can get lost in the messaging. I like it. It's interesting. There's also the marketing sandwich. So if you ever if you ever go to sign up for something and it's kind of interesting, it probably works on most of us all of the time they'll you know they'll try and sell you the baseline thing that's like you know five dollars and then they'll they'll also have this hyper expensive one that's a hundred dollars and then somewhere in the middle they're gonna have something that's like 39.95 and you could be like oh man i get almost all of the expensive thing if i go to that middle route and they do it on purpose because they know most people don't want to settle for the base they don't want to spend everything on the most and so they'll fall in the middle. And it's the same type thing. I mean, it's it's totally uh, a mental thing that people latch on to. So I, I, I get it's, it. I it's the same thing with like the nine ninety nine instead of $10, right? It is, 100%. Oh, it's it's yeah. not quite $10. I like I like the, the be honest thing. I, I think that you have to be honest with the people that you are leading. <laughs> Otherwise, you create a false – everything's false. Like – I think we've talked about it before. The morale of people underneath can get frustrated if they're seeing that, that somebody's not pulling their weight, but then the person that's in charge isn't letting them know in some way too. Right. So it can, it can mess up things all over the place. Now that's not to say you have to be rude about it. You definitely totally. have to be tactful about how you approach these situations. Right. Right. But yeah, yeah, no, don't not. We're not saying be brutally honest, just honest, <laughs> honest, pad the honesty. Okay. 
All right. So uh, the last one for the positive patterns edition of how to lead a team is to track happiness. So if you want to have, if you want a productive team, then, you know, a happy team is going to be a productive team. No, you, you're already questioning this one. How you track it? I can see. Oh, I'm glad you asked, Alan. Thank right? you. I knew. Wow. <laughs> That's why the look. So they said the simplest way that you can do this is that like when you're meeting with members of your team, uh, and it could be, it could be a, a one-on-one meeting that you have regularly with members of your team. You just ask them like, what do you need? And, and that alone can be enough to, to where the, that team member can let you know if they, if they need something to, to help them be happy about whatever they're doing. Right. It boils down to something as simple as that. Okay. Right. Like, Oh, I need, I need a new laptop because mine's on fire and can't run the data center that I'm trying to spin up. And they're like, Oh, why are you doing it on the laptop? You could, you instead could, you know, just use this shared cluster over here, spin it up over yeah. there. You know, I think it's fair to say, like, if you ask a manager, be like, uh, how's a uh, person X doing? Like, the, it would be nice if that manager could say, well, uh, you know, X is doing pretty good. They just got a new laptop. Um, they have a, a bit of an issue with the meetings that we have around lunchtime because they like to have lunch, whatever, you know, that's important to them. Uh, but they're uh, happy with the flexible work schedule that, you know, they should be able to uh, kind of list like a, like a general sense of like kind of pros and cons as far as like status goes as far as that person. And it can be professional. Like I consider all the, consider all those things to be professional things. It doesn't necessarily have to be like, Oh, they're a seven out of 10 on the happiness scale because they, uh, you know, their boyfriend got them a whatever Xbox. Yeah. I mean, um, you're not trying to treat this like a, an opioid, you know, smiley face chart, <laughs> yeah. you know, like which on a scale of one to 10, which one of these smiley faces best represents you? And you're like, oh, I don't know. Right. Five. Or this seems like this magnus would be like, how do you feel today? And it'd be like a thing of like 20 faces. Yeah. Right. Was great. It did remind me though, like uh, going back to the be honest section though, like because um, in your example there, I was like, oh wait, is X the person that is being asked the question, or you know, one manager is talking to another manager about how X is doing in that scenario? That wasn't clear in your example, and we're never going to know. You're never going to talking Jay Z, right? Yeah, it was his example. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Hey, listen, it's Friday. I don't want to leave right now. Well, I want to. I want to go home. Well, the the, re- the reason why I say that, the reason why I brought it up though is like going back to the Beyonce thing. They they actually specifically called out an example of where like if you were to ask something about someone else, and as the manager, like you can't give out cer- certain information about people, right. you know. So they yeah. were saying like they're not telling you to to they're not saying you know to lie in those situations, but you can say you know something kind of. Uh, you know, managerial that's like, well, you know, I can't speak to whatever, blah, 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 you know, type of thing. So, well, you know, there's certain situations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's certain situations where you have to approach it carefully and you can't just like, you know, spill out everything just because you're quote being honest. But well, that's, yeah. that's the real answer as a manager, anything that you can't answer, you'd be like, well, I'll have to circle back to that. That's it. Then you're good. Okay. Yeah, and you need to have a a bag of phrases like that. By the way, it, it should be like the last item, right? Is like have a bunch of phrases like circle back and uh, put a pen in it for you know 
things like that. It is what it is, man. It is what it is. There's, <laughs> there, there's a, this book is so good. I, I really did enjoy this book. It was, if you haven't read it again, this is called uh, the software engineering at Google lessons learned from programming over time by O'Reilly. And it's got a pink flamingo on the cover. If you see it, it's, it, it's an enjoyable book. It's, um, you know, there, there are things that you read about how Google's doing like their builds and, and deploys and everything. And you're, you're just kind of like in awe of how they've, how they've done some of the stuff that they're, that they're doing. So, yeah. So with that, uh, we'll have some links in the resources we like section of the episode show notes, including a link to this book. And with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. Guess what I did, y'all? What you did? I bought a mechanical keyboard. Wait, you didn't already have one? Forever. I've never had one. Really? Never had one. Except, I mean, except maybe in like the seventies or whatever, <laughs> whatever, Jesus. wherever they come from. Wait, uh, but you have carpal tunnel type stuff. Why you do that? Why? Yeah. I so it's silly. Uh, so I'm buying my first mechanical uh, keyboard. It is, no, uh, I've already ordered. It's pre-ordered. He didn't it buy is. It. I did. He's so I full of it. very much did. Uh, it's not ergonomic. Uh, I can't even tell you what kind of switches are in it or if you can <laughs> replace them or whatever. I don't care about any of that stuff. And let me tell you, first of all, let me preface too, say like, I'm not a man that usually cares a lot about aesthetics, you know, like <laughs> what the stuff looks like or if it's themed or if it's kitschy or, you know, I just don't care. Uh, 99% of the time. But I saw this keyboard and I just went and bought it immediately. Uh, and what it is, it is uh, a keyboard made by this company, 8-Bit, 8-Bit-Do. Uh, which you might know for making game controllers. They make a lot of like controllers for retro uh, systems, but also just like, you know, USB kind of game controllers. Uh, And they're getting into keyboards and they made a keyboard that looks like uh, the old Nintendo slash uh, Famicom. You can pick, actually pick which color scheme you want. So if you're, uh, you know, UAP or US, um, you know, whichever one you had, uh, and it looks just like it. It comes with these big, stupid buttons, uh, USB buttons that kind of look like the controller buttons on a Nintendo. And I just saw it and I loved it. And I don't know if I'm going to use it. I Maybe I'm just going to like hold it and pet it and <laughs> take it out to dinner. I don't, I don't know. But I just loved it. And I wanted to share it with you. Dave also uh, mentioned this in the Gear channel. Uh, before I even had a chance, I was going to go over there and say something about it. And uh, he, he mentioned it there, too. And so uh, we've always known that he has fantastic taste. And I agree. Uh, Dave Follett. So uh, I think so, you're yeah. going to hate this keyboard for your carpal tunnel. Probably. Maybe a little bit. Um, it's, it's a small, it's an 87-key keyboard. So we should say that. So it's a small one. Yeah. Um, but it does have PBT keycaps we've talked about those before those whatever that means yep um and then but it's got a switch i've never heard of let the kalaya box switch v2 i never heard of those am i saying is that they're v2 whites yeah i've never heard that like oh the, yeah the kale yeah so oh am i did i pronounce that wrong yeah i think those I are those are the alternative to the cherries You'll see that a lot on these mechanicals, but regardless, Jay Z's never going to use this thing, but he is going to mount it somewhere prominent that he can see it because it really does look like the old NES system. 
It's yeah, very the dials cool on it, even like if you remember, there's like some little dials that were on the back of the system, and they got that for like the volume control. Yeah, but uh, the, they've also got the big red LED for when it's on. It's, it's ridiculous. I, it. I mean, it's it's fantastic looking for sure, but I I can't imagine him actually using this thing ever. I literally have zero ornamentation, no like toys around my office, no nothing. But I, I just I wanted this. I saw it. I wanted. It. I still want it. <laughs> So the the PBT keycaps are going to be like a stronger feel about it. We've talked about these before where like the ABS plastic ones over time, they get like super shiny and smooth, but the PBT ones will have, uh, they'll, those, they'll have a textured feel about them. Not like sandpaper texture, but it's a harder plastic. So it, it won't smooth out like the ABS ones do. It doesn't matter. These things are never going to get touched. It's so not, let me tell you, though. Right. Do you know what keyboard I use for work? Uh, the Microsoft Sculpt Ergonomic, it was, but then you switched to the Apple keyboard, didn't you? Yeah, this is the keyboard I use for work. I hate those it's things. It's tiny. It's the Apple Magic Keyboard. It's tiny. I think it's another 87 or 88 or, you know, it's somewhere, it's somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. Uh, so it's the same. <laughs> it's like if Fletch were to describe, ah, you know, 87, 88, whatever it takes to get the job done. Yeah, exactly. So this new keyboard is actually a little bit bigger than this one. And um, I had like a, I used to work with this one on a box and I use a touchpad for my work computer just because I was so used to working with Macs on a, you know, like the touchpad and the actual laptop keyboard that when I started um, plugging in, um, put into a dock, I wanted to maintain that feel because I was just so used to it for Mac OS. And so it's kind of helped me keep my like Windows key memory and my, my uh my mac keystrokes kind of separate and so yeah i'm, I'm hoping it's going to work out and if not uh, i don't know maybe i'll be buried with it or something <laughs> wow that i got super dark super quick yeah add it to the will uh, yeah awesome. i i just wish that they i like the full-size magic keyboard that they had the like i guess it's the 104 key yep. um i forget i'm trying to look it up what the, the smaller one is if it's an 88 but yeah, I don't need a key. Um, and, you know, technically this doesn't even support um, Mac OS, but I'm, I think it will. I think it's going to work. It'll be fine. I just wish that the, the that they would produce a wired keyboard. Like, I have no problems with them offering a wireless, but I really preferred the the predecessor to what is now the Magic key, wireless Magic Keyboard. There was the wired version of that. And... That keyboard was amazing. Well, if you can't find that one, they've also... Oh, well, this one's wireless, too. The Microsoft Surface keyboard is basically a complete ripoff of, of the Apple one. But, yeah, but, that oh, keyboard will work with Mac. You'll just oh have to remember. Oh, my gosh. Wait a minute. They make a mouse, too. Hold on. <laughs> Hold the phone. Actually, I hate this mouse. I really dislike it. I'm going to paste the link here, but only because I hate it. I see it. The, the N30... <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, I'm so glad I didn't see this before I bought a keyboard. <laughs> That's hilarious, man. Yeah, I hate this. Jay Z is is a retro gamer for sure. I'm still yeah, using not for okay, this wait, mouse. Is this the is this the mouse? Oh, mouse is terrible. What you don't like the mouse? It, it's, that's that's the your Nintendo controller. Yeah, I have vertical mice, two of them, and Same. this one is ugly to me. What does that tell you? Yeah, vertical mice are not the prettiest, but man, they're nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've also seen the keyboard you've pre-ordered, so I question your judgment <laughs> in what's pretty. <laughs> yeah. The um, I, I'm still using though the 
uh, what is this one? The Kinesis Gaming RGB, I believe is the name of That's it. That's a good keyboard. Yeah. I, I still, I still, that my only thing that I miss is having that numpad. Like that's mm. the only thing I miss on it. But otherwise, this keyboard is great. It works just, yeah. you know, I, I did change out the keycaps because it came with the crappy ABS plastics that, you know, Jay-Z <laughs> has no idea what I'm talking about. So I put some PBTs on there like Jeez. a boss. Uh, okay. Right, what's oh, next I, have another, up? I have another tip. I forgot. Sorry. Uh, yeah. So um, threat modeling tools. I did a little bit of research uh, to see what kind of tools were out there. And um, so threat model, if you've not heard of that, um, basically it's a kind of a, uh, I don't want to say it's like too formally defined. Like there's some books that have been written, some guidelines on how to create them, but it's still pretty, pretty loosely, loosely goosey. There's not like a strong formal uh, definition of what like a threat model exactly is, but roughly speaking, uh, it's a way of documenting uh, an application and um, classifying the risks and what you've done about those risks and documenting them and generating data flow diagrams and stuff and are uh, roughly standardized around some basic tenets, but um, there's not like one kind of authority on the matter. But uh, OWASP actually makes a tool uh, that's web-based that you can run in a Docker container uh, and generate a threat model. And what's nice about this is that you can just run it on your own system locally, check your data in, uh, and you don't have to upload it to anyone else's servers uh, because if you look for um, that modeling tools, most of them are going to be SaaS applications. And you know what you're going to be doing if you're creating uh, threat models is going through listing all your applications, what type of users use it, what type of networks they're hooked up to. You're going to be writing uh, all your risks and classifying them and saying which ones are mitigated and which ones are not mitigated. And that's not information that your company is likely to want existing on anyone else's servers. Right. So, uh, yeah. So I, I think, uh, I like immediately ruled out any companies that were SAS only, which was surprisingly like, like nearly all of them. Uh, so I was looking exclusively for open source threat modeling tools and threat dragon was one. It's dead simple though. It is not, uh, fancy at all. It's very basic. It does have support for some of the kind of more popular models, uh, that people use, but I mean, it's, su- it's super basic compared to some of the, the paid options and Microsoft does have one that is open source, but it's not great. It's like strongly assuming that you're using Azure, <laughs> like all the icons and stuff it's using, like it's, everything is Azure first and it only runs on windows. It's kind of like, why, like why bother? It's, it's a windows app instead of a web app. You know, it's just kind of funky. And I found a couple other ones too that just that were a little bit more fancy, but um, they're also more opinionated. So I, I thought this one uh, was really nice for, because of its simplicity. So uh, you should check it out. Reminds me of Visio with very specified, um, yeah, very types of elements. Yeah. There's like six different elements, yeah, which is you know very very limiting. Especially like Microsoft one had like every Azure service icon. <laughs> this one's just like no, you get like. A box, a line, and a dotted line. Yeah. Interesting. So, so now uh, Jay-Z has me looking at keyboards again, and I'm reminded of, uh, I looked at this one once before, the Cloud9 uh, ergonomic split keyboard. And they make they make a split keyboard that still includes the, um, the, the numpad. Uh, and, and it's a traditional, uh, I'll, throw you, I'll throw you a link, let's see. 
I don't miss the numpad. I never hooked up the numpad for the, the sculpt. The Ergo FS. Well, yeah, you had to hook it up. So that's why. That's it was kind of beautiful. That. So I'm going to throw a link out here. That's not a terrible price either. Hmm. Yeah, the Cloud9. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like $10 FS. less than the... Uh, uh, no, that's not the that's one. Um, here. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to throw out this link. It's called the uh, the C989M. Well, on their website, it's called the FS. Mm-hmm. Link to. There okay. you go, right below yours. All right, anyways. Wait, is that the same spot? Yeah. Ow! Huh, weird. Yeah. I don't know. We can't have nice yeah. things is what I'm learning from this because... Uh, you know, the one difference though about this one is that the tinting is like in is fixed on the cloud nine. You can't change it. Whereas on the Kinesis, you can change it to um, like three different levels, like if you wanted to. So, but you know, on the Kinesis, I just leave it maxed out. So I don't know. I, I might not even notice a difference on the cloud nine. Yeah. Does it, it come with people. a giant pair of USB buttons? <laughs> no, it's not accessorized like that one, is it? Uh, but it does. But fun. you can color it. It does have RGB colors, so you know that that automatically sold me right there. You just yeah. need black, yeah. gray, and and red, right, Jay Z? Yeah. All right. All right. Okay, so, so your turn. My turn. So uh, a couple cool tools here. So I'm um in PC building uh, land here lately. And uh, two utilities that I found very, very helpful. Uh, one, the first one is called Macrium Reflect. So if you need to clone a hard drive and you know maybe you want to like go from um, you know a smaller drive to a larger drive or a spinning drive to an SSD or you know smaller SSD to a larger SSD, whatever you want. This thing will copy like all the partitions, everything for you. You'll it's it like I remember the old days of it being difficult to like clone hard drives, right? Even even Clonezilla like you know made things better, but it was still you know a pain, especially if it was the boot drive. Not anymore. And this software is so ridiculously simple to use, and um, they had. They have a free trial that's like good for 30 days. So if you're building a PC, that is plenty good enough. I'm probably breaking some terms of service by saying that, but uh, you know, I I I would imagine that like both this and the next utility that I'm going to tell you about, like you would have to be in the business of like constantly building or cloning cloning hard drives or building machines to where you might want to purchase these because they do have you know, licenses for longer term use or for like, you know, uh, team or organization kind of usage. But, you know, for the, it, for the one-time use that they give you a, a fully functional license, uh, for 30 days. So that worked, that was enough for my needs to clone a drive. Cool. The next one though. So, uh, it's called Revo uninstaller. And you're like, but Michael, why wouldn't I just use the, add remove functionality that's already shipped with the app. So a couple of cool things uh, of why you might want to do this. One, this will make sure that like any artifacts that 
uh, might have been left behind are removed. You ever like uninstall an app and you find that there's still a folder there for it, or there's some reference in the registry for it. This, Always. this goes through and it gets rid of all of that junk, right? Uh, it'll perfectly clean it up. And in what got me to like looking for this in the first place was I was in a situation where the app was crashing and the uninstaller was crashing. So I had no way to uninstall it. So the way this thing works is when you, you pick like, Oh, Hey, here's the app I want to uninstall. It will first attempt to run the apps uninstaller. And then if it notices that it wasn't successful, then it'd be like, okay, well, we'll do it for you and it'll get rid of it. And, and, you know, it does that. It lets the, their uninstaller do the bulk of the work if it can. And then it'll clean up, you know, anything left behind if it left anything behind. But yeah, this is another one of those products where it gives you a fully functional version as a 30 day trial that if you're only going to use like once it's fine, you know, it'll work fine for you. But if you want to, buy the license for it. Cause it's something that you're like doing more often than not, then, you know, you might want that kind of thing. So very cool. All right. So I have a couple of things. One, I borrowed from Mike RG who we talk about all the time. Cause he's always contributing awesome stuff. This one is basically just how to check to see if two SQL tables are the same. I'm sure this probably came out of, out of when Outlaw was talking about one of the things the data grip he loves, where you're able to compare the contents of two tables. If you wanted to do it via code, there's an entire article here that will basically show you how you can do this. So go check that out. That's pretty sweet. And then the other one, I'm, I'm sort of torn on even sharing this one. So it's one of those things where it can be super useful. So this thing is called Mac fuse and Basically, what it is, is it allows you to extend macOS's native file handling capabilities via third-party file systems. Okay, so you might ask, well, what in the world? Why That doesn't even make sense to me. All right, so I've talked about telepresence before on on the podcast, and, and I truly love that product. If you're working in Kubernetes, telepresence can be an absolute godsend when you're trying to debug something and you're wanting to run it locally in an IDE or something, but have most of your traffic routed. Well, where this came up is I noticed when I would do a telepresence connect to my cluster, and if I went to do an intercept of, of a pod and reroute things or reroute a service to my local it would tell me that the mount wasn't available because of some problem with Mac OS, like something wasn't set up. And here's where it matters. If you have things mounted into a pod, telepresence, and, and I may even be saying this a little bit wrong, so apologies ahead of time. I, I need to go back and read it. I probably should have done it for, I mean, talking about it, but whatever. It would basically allow you to mount stuff that was in that in, in a pod or something to your local machine. So if you had things like secrets or something it, like an example is if you start up a pod in Kubernetes, you might have files in it that are like keys for service accounts or something like that. Right. Well, running locally might be a problem because you don't have those same keys and you can actually have telepresence do mounts that will more or less get that same information available to you on your machine. So 
it needs this particular piece of software to be able to do these like virtual mount type things uh, so that it could work. So at any rate, super useful. I'm not recommending that you go install it because I don't know. Anytime you're dealing with messing with things that can touch your file system like that sort of makes me a little bit, you know, squeamish. But it does have some pretty cool utility usage. So whatever. I'm throwing it out there. You know about it now. You know, use it your own discretion. But very cool thing that telepresence actually needs if you want to do those mounts locally nice so yeah very cool all right so uh subscribe to us on itunes spotify wherever you like to find your podcasts uh be sure to visit us at www.codingblocks.net slash review for some helpful links if you only left like a single review. I mean, <laughs> right. That's amazing. Hey, uh, while you're up there. Who would do that? Not, I'm not looking right. at anyone in particular, but if I was, yeah, if you think right. it might be you. Right. If, if you're feeling a little bit hot right now hearing that. yeah. If you're not a, sure, just go ahead and try to leave another one. Yeah, just leave another one. It's not going to hurt anything. Is your ear hey, itching? Because so- <laughs> then, uh, yeah, I was... I was talking about you. That's awesome. Hey, while you're up there, make sure you check out our show notes, examples, discussions, and more, and send your feedback, questions, and rants to our Slack channel at codingblocks.net slash Slack. Oh, and hey, uh, make sure to follow us on X at CodingBlocks or head over to CodingBlocks.net. Find all our social links at the top of the page. And if you don't know what he's talking about, X is the new, or Twitter is the new X. X going to give it to you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you find all our uh, all our Twitter icons and letters up there, I guess. Yeah, there we go. That was like probably the worst, uh, you know, call out of that song ever. Yeah, you know, I sounded nothing like him, so I'm sorry. You did not. You did not sound like DMX. Or- X- X- yeah, my my Michael Jackson was better than that. It was. It really was. <laughs> it was. It really was. <laughs> I, you know what, Alan? Can you take Can you take us home with some Lionel Richie, and then we can like be and close the loop here. Ooh. Oh, no, I can't do it. (laughs) My voice is too deep. Can't do it. No dancing on the ceiling tonight. All right, here we go. All right.